Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Jake Neer. All this week on WFUV, we've been taking a stroll along the New York City Music Trail. It's a list of dozens of sites of sound across the five boroughs that have contributed to the city's rich musical history. The Music Trail was created in 1992 by the Grammy Awards Host Committee and the city as an attempt to solidify the awards as a New York City institution. That didn't quite work out, but the trail remains a valuable roadmap to the city's most interesting musical spots. As part of that exploration, I had the opportunity to speak with 50s and 60s pop icon Dion DiMucci. When he was a teenager, Dion and his group The Belmonts polished early hits like I Wonder Why and A Teenager in Love on the corner of 187th and Belmont in the Bronx. Now known as the Doo-Wop Corner, it's one of the spots on the music trail that may not have crossed your radar. Later Dion records like Runaround Sue and The Wanderer solidified him as one of the most popular pre-British invasion artists in the world. He talked to me about his upbringing in the Fordham section of the Bronx, his time at the doo-wop corner, and some of the racial tensions between Bronx-area doo-wop groups at the time. Have a listen. So, first of all, if you could just tell me a little bit about the neighborhood that you grew up in the Bronx. We'll get to the specific corner that we're talking about today, but just kind of an overview of where you grew up, what the feel of the neighborhood was at that, t- at that point. Well, I come from, uh, you know, Bronx, New York City, uh, the, the Fordham section. Uh, you know, great food, a lot of love, <laughs> a lot of uh, great stories and history and um, good people. I don't know. They had great record shops, great theaters when I grew up, and I was close to Yankee Stadium. And but you know, I just remember the uh, the great food. You know, the the fragrance uh, walking down Arthur Avenue in the Bronx with fresh cheeses in the water and the olives and and the fresh pasta and uh, and uh, it was it was fun growing up there. You know, a lot of street New York street games, stickball. And, Roller skating and bicycling growing up, and it was uh, it was good. I went to uh, PS32, which is on 183rd Street, and then I went to Roosevelt High School. Uh, sorry, at the time I went to 45, which is a junior high school, uh, uh, mid, and then I then I went to Roosevelt. So, so what what role did uh, music play in the community? Was that something that you heard on the streets when you're walking down the streets? I mean, or was it a, uh, you know, what, what was the uh, musical flavor at the time? Well, you know, when I grew up, there was no rock and roll. Uh, it didn't exist. So I, I grew up to kind of like a, a top ten thing with, uh, you know, maybe Georgia Gibbs and Guy Mitchell. Uh, and the radio, you know, there, there weren't too many stations. You know, you had the the top ten, and you'd, you'd hear those uh, records coming off these uh, the, the programs that they had there until at a very young, maybe pre-teens, I discovered a radio station out of Newark, New Jersey, the Don Larkin Show, and he played country music. So I heard Hank Williams, and I heard Hank Snow, and that changed my world, changed my world. Then I started looking around for more music stations, and I heard Jimmy Reed, and uh, forget about it. You know, that was it. I was, 
I was caught up into the music scene, and uh, my uncle got me a guitar for eight dollars at a pawn shop, which was actually a great guitar. And uh, I started collecting records from uh, Lou Cicchetti, who had a record shop on Fordham Road, Cousins Music. And uh, you know, off I went. I uh, I, I became good friends with Lou Cicchetti, and he and he would call me. And I, I remember the number, Cypress 80286. <laughs> and he'd call me and uh, tell me a new Hank Williams or a Jimmy Reed record came in, and I'd run up to Fordham Road and uh, try to, you know, save up for those. I, You know, I was delivering uh, sandwiches around the, the neighborhood and stuff, and I'd make a little money, and I'd buy to get those records, you know. But... As a real youngster, maybe eight years old, right before that, my, my grandfather used to take me up to the Windsor, which was a a theater right off of Fordham Road, a little west of Fordham College, and south of the Grand Concourse. I mean, east of the Grand Concourse. It was down the hill. That's what I meant, south. Uh, it, w- it was called the Windsor, and, and they used to bring in shows, and he used to bring me to, to see some opera shows. So I would see Pagliacci and La Traviata and La Boheme. And that was a real blessing to me because those those songs were strong and powerful. Had, didn't have an idea, a notion of what they were saying, but uh, they impressed me uh, a whole lot. They were a big blessing to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, <clears throat> my grandfather came over to America when he was 16 years old, probably in... 1906, no money, educated himself. And when I came along, he brought me down to see, uh, took me to the southernmost part of Manhattan and showed me the Statue of Liberty. And he said, Dion, see that Statue of Liberty? They should erect the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast because with great liberty and freedom comes great responsibility. So that's the kind of stuff I grew up to, you know. Wow. So it sounds to me, especially on the on the music side, that you were really kind of exposed to a wide variety of of different stuff. Uh, how did how do you get into doo-wop? What what turned you on to that? Well, I w- I really wasn't into doo-wop too much. Uh, I when I when I was a, a when I was maybe. Uh, you know, young, very young teenager, I collected all these Hank Williams records. So I, I knew about 50 Hank Williams songs. And I would play at Armando's uh, club right on, the, right on the corner of Fordham Road and Southern Boulevard. There was a club there right next to uh, Howard Johnson's <laughs> when I grew up. And, uh, uh, you know, my uncles would take me there. I was a, I was a kid, like 12 years old. I could, I could sing cold cold heart and your cheating heart and I, I was i was good i i knew i had the audience you know I, I knew i had to deliver the song i wasn't trying to sell myself or anything i just knew these songs and could get them over and uh so i knew all all those songs when i was 16 17 uh there was a, a songwriter in my neighborhood pat noto who got me a uh, maybe an audition with a new record company that was starting out at the time you know this is what became laurie records but i went downtown with my guitar 
and uh, there was a janitor. His name was Willie Green. Uh, he was the uh, superintendent of one of the uh, tenement buildings on uh, Cretona Avenue. He he said, just be yourself, sing the stuff you do on the stoop, you know, and some of the stuff he had taught me. And I went down there and blew them away, and they wanted to sign me, and I, they signed me up when I was about 17. And they put me with a group that I, I just, they had some existing tracks down at Laurie Records that I couldn't stand. They were, like, really overdone, you know. A guy named Lugo, Hugo Montenegro had orchestrated them, and his arrangements and he was great but it wasn't my style of music and they wanted me to sing on these tracks and I did because you know hey I was a recording artist after all so uh, I, I sang on these uh, tracks and and the song became a big hit in Boston it was called The Chosen Few and uh, I started talking to the company I said listen if you want me to sing with some guys. I go back to my neighborhood. I don't want to sing with these Okies from Oklahoma. You know, they they were like, you know, they were like old men who sang Broadway show tunes. So I, 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 they said, okay, let me see what you got. So I, I went back up to Fordham, took the D train, got off and back home. I recruited three of the guys from just adjacent neighborhoods you know three of the guys that i knew that sang great doo-wop uh you know street corner song you know they would hang out at the at their local candy stores playing records and singing harmony and uh impressing the girls and and everybody else uh, in their neighborhoods you know so i i i got these three guys and we called them dion and the belmonts come up with that because I figured everybody was naming their groups after cars like the Cadillacs and the Eldorados or, or birds like uh, the Flamingos and, the, you know, that kind of thing. So I thought, let me let me pick a street here. So two of the guys were from Belmont Avenue. I called the group Dion and the Belmonts, and we came out with I Wonder Why, and just uh, it was history from there. We, we had a lot of fun, you know, just recording and uh, <laughs> enjoying the uh, – the neighborhood adulation or the, you know, the, the, the attention. Well, let me, uh, you know, get to this specific uh, corner that they kind of, uh, again, we're talking about uh, the New York City music trail, and I'm not sure how familiar with that, uh, you know, you might be, but it's, um, you know, the New York City host committee for the 45th Grammy Awards. Uh, sorry, not the 45th, but the Grammy Awards when they came back to New York after being in California for a long time in the early 90s, uh, they chose... Uh, dozens and dozens of sites all over the five boroughs, and one of those sites, and one that I'm focusing on here, it's they they're calling it the Duop Corner. I'm going to read you the description here, and uh, I'd like to see if you find that this is accurate. Um, you know, they say that it's um, 187th Street and uh, Belmont Avenue. They say uh, teen idol Dion DeMucci named his backup group the Belmonts after the street corner where they polished distinctive arrangements of I Wonder Why from 1958 and their all-time hit Teenager in Love, 1959. Uh, again, you know, is that an accurate description? Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much. We would, we would sing, you know, pretty much near, you know, Mount Carmel Catholic Church there. But, you know, it wasn't one particular corner, but uh, 
that's close enough. You know, it 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 was on those streets right there. So you actually uh, those early hits, I wonder why, and teenager in love. Those were songs that you actually worked out the arrangement right there in those uh, on those corners. Well, I well I wonder why we we worked that out in my little room uh, where I uh, lived with my parents on 183rd and Prospect, but. As soon as we had that in our pocket and we went down and recorded it, yeah, we would sing that on uh, 187th. You know, to to we were proud of it. A little bit of you know, show it off. You know. So you know when you were you know kind of trying out these songs on the, on the corners, you know, did you have any um, you know specific experiences that really jump out at you? You know, some fond memories of of doing that. So maybe specific moments. Well, you know what I the thing is when 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 the Belmonts and I sang I wonder why uh it was a defining moment. It was like a major defining moment in my life because we were all singing something different. Carlo Mastrangelo was singing a riveting bassline drilling and Freddie Milano was singing low uh, in a falsetto voice, uh, his ooh-wah-wahs, and Angelo would be soaring with his tenor voice over the whole song, and I would be singing lead. And we were it was like four distinctly different parts, yet they fit perfectly together. I felt like I was, like it was a bit of heaven for me. You know, it was... I knew it was something great. I never heard anything like this, you know. I knew we were somewhere where nobody's been. I never heard anything like it uh, because we all brought something very, very unique to the table, you know. Uh, Angelo was an opera singer, and here he was singing what he had digested from some of these uh, the channel, you know, the, the some of the doo-wop records he was listening to. And I was, I loved country music and blues, and here I am, singing lead. And Carlo was a jazz singer, and he's doing this uh, scatting part on the bottom as a bass. And Freddie was a an out and out doo wop harmony genius who was filling in. So uh, it, it was it was not, and we were kids, and it was good. <laughs> it, it was. It was thrilling to be in the middle of that sound. And what stood out to me is it was hitting home to whoever was listening on the corner. Who, you know, the girls who came over and were listening to us and and uh, who, whoever decided to uh, lean in from the streets and want to listen to us. I could see the impact we were making. We were connecting. Were there big crowds, uh, you know, gathering around you guys at that time? Or yeah, for us, yeah, for us, you know, you you get sometimes thirty, forty people. It was like whoa, you know. Oh, and the schoolyards, you know, all our friends, you know, and some sometimes we would just, you know, it was at a friend's party, we would do it, you know, and it was like uh, we'd get it on, and it was like something else. It was it was really something, and. You know, basically, we were. I would I would hand out parts to these guys that basically I heard at the Apollo Theater. You know, from the big bands. You know, 
So we we were imitating horns. We were like a poor man's horn section. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm your host, Jake Neer. As a reminder, we're speaking with 50s and 60s pop icon Dion DiMucci about his upbringing in the Fordham section of the Bronx. It's part of our WFUV News series this week on the New York City Music Trail. The corner that Dion and his group the Belmonts practiced on as teenagers is one of the many sites featured on the list. When I did a little bit of research on on the corner and was at, I was asking some music historians, you know, what what they thought and so forth, and uh, I came across this is just one person, by the way, but uh, they said that there there is a little bit of controversy, even or a little uh, questioning, because this corner that we're talking about or this part of your neighborhood that you grew up in has gotten a little bit of attention. Obviously, you know, the Grammy host committee. Uh, singled it out for this music trail, but this one uh, academic uh, said that the real center of doo-wop is Prospect Avenue between 166th Street and Jennings Avenue, where the Chords and Chantels were from, you know, and, and you know, maybe uh, insinuated that the uh, black artists that were doing doo-wop earlier than that uh, have been somewhat ignored. Do you have any, you know, uh, reaction to that? Do you have any uh, comment about the neighborhood that you were from and, and the place that it has in music history? Well, uh, t- to be honest with you, I don't know anything about that because that that was like that was like a foreign country going down to 166th Street, you know. That was uh, the only time we, we got anywhere close to any of those neighborhoods were in the gang fights when, you know, one of the guys in my group was in the Imperial Hoods. We were in the Fordham Baldies, you know, and then, uh, you know, we would get it on with the, they had the, the Scorpions and they had the uh, the Young Sinners and they had the, uh, the Red Wings. They call them the Harlem Red Wings. And we used to, you know, walk down to those neighborhoods up to Cretona Park. But I have no idea if those groups sang on those corners. I know one thing. When we sang I Wonder Why and got a hit, we worked, we were one of the first groups to work the Apollo Theater. They thought we were black. They were shocked that we were white. They didn't believe it. They they booked us because the song was, High on the charts in New York. I, it, it must have went, uh, you know, in New York, it was definitely a top five song. So the Apollo Theater booked us, didn't know we were white. But I'll tell you, down at the Apollo, backstage, out on the street, you know, I remember the Cadillacs. I remember, you know, a lot of the groups down there, the Flamingos, you know, outside in the back uh, singing, you know, just hanging out singing on the on the, the back side of the Apollo Theater, not on the not in the front. But so that that's what I remember, but I don't know a specific corner as far as, you know, where those you know, what was popular among other because I was in my own little world, man. I, I at that age and what you're doing, you know, you picked up something from the radio, we were a world unto ourselves. 
I guess, uh, you know, if, if you're willing to talk a little bit about this, uh, if you know, it seems that back back in those days, uh, when it comes to the racial side of, of doo-wop and R&B and, and when it really started taking hold in, in white neighborhoods, you know, uh, of course, there were a significant amount of, of white people and, Itali- and Italian-American uh, people, you know, involved in doo-wop and R&B and along with many, many black artists around the city. Uh, but there wasn't much integration back in those days. Do you think that that was just a product of being of the neighborhoods being separate or you know what was the you know what's the explanation for that you know it's a funny thing i uh, i grew up in a house <laughs> this is this is this is really strange i think because uh, from what i've heard other people talk about but my parents never i they never made a racial slur or talked about any ethnic group they never talked down about anybody they had their problems but I never heard anything like that because my father was in show business, and uh, you know he'd he'd hang with all kinds of people, and you know basically when I got into the business, to be honest with you, you looked up to the black guys because a lot of the good music was coming from there, right? So I just looked up to those guys. In fact, when I brought uh, Frankie Lyman. Back to my house, to my mother, you know, I said, Mom, I, I met this, you know, guy, great singer. I really like him a lot down at the, you know, down in Harlem. I, I, so I, I brought him up to my neighborhood, and, man, did I get catch hell for that. Guys were like, what are you, well, who is, I said, it's Frankie, we don't care. I was like just, in fact, I'll be honest with you, I'm Italian. And I started not to like Italians. I got a resentment against Italians. And it took me years to, uh, you know, when I went to Italy, I think I dropped it. I became aware of it later on because of stuff like that. But uh, I, I think at that time, the black guys that we ran into were very, very helpful to us. I became, like, great friends with Buddy Lucas, who played uh, sax on The Wanderer, uh, which the Belmonts had nothing. I wasn't doing doo-wop at the time. Well, I had the uh, a group called the Del Santons with me. From uh, They were from the east side of Manhattan. They sang on the corner of, what, 92nd Street and 1st Avenue. That was that was their doo-wop place, you know, when, when I was making records. So uh, I heard about them when I was downtown and Belmonts and I split I got them to uh, sing on you know Run Around Sue and Ruby Baby and The Wanderer with me but in the sessions itself the black musicians from the Apollo and the Union whoever was were in those sessions were very very helpful to us <laughs> the best thing I could tell you is that even when I went out to the Fox and worked with Alan Freed at those early rock and roll shows, the TV and rock and roll brought the races together in some small way because we we would hang, you know, backstage with Little Richard and Chuck Berry. And Little Richard, you know, maybe I'd see him on Dick Clark. He, he, he was like from out of space and Bo Diddley. But then when you get... With these guys, you know, they were cooking in the dressing rooms, and uh, it became like a family, you know. And I, I've been close to Little Richard for for years, and Bo Diddley. We 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 were friends 
gosh, you know, until the day he died. So uh, I made some, you know, it really, the music opened up my world and brought the race, uh, the races together in, in some, in some way, because uh, it still didn't happen on a, down on the streets, but it, it was happening in, in hearts in some way. It was starting to bring people together, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and just to go back, you know, it sounds like it from from your diverse musical background when you were here in the Bronx and you were coming of age and so forth. Of course, your your career didn't center completely around doo-wop for you. You're still uh, experimenting with different you know kinds of music. You did some folk. You've done blues more recently. You know, uh, do you trace that back to those early influences back in in the Bronx, or are those things that you've kind of developed over the years? Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's more of a throwback, uh, the blues thing, because it was uh, part of the, my roots. And with the company I was with, we started getting hit records, you know, geared to the teenagers at that time. So I, I didn't focus on the blues, but it certainly was in my heart and soul and mind and brain. You know, it was like, uh, it was stuff, you know, when I heard Jimmy Reed, that just that just totally changed my life. God, it it opened up a door to me that uh, I'm, you know, it's I walked through. Here I am. I don't even know how to explain it. It it, it did something to my insights. You know, he uh, it just resonated with my sensibilities. Anyway, I don't know. You know, some of the guys in my neighborhood are like, "What the hell is that?" They they had no idea what you know what I what I heard, especially with Hank Williams records. But uh, <clears throat> all of it. Yeah, I, I experimented. I was like artistically uh, uh, <laughs> frustrated, not frustrated, uh, uh, like schizophrenic. You know, I was like uh, trying this, trying that. You know, I would I would be doing different things. Some of these records that I recorded in the in the early '60s are are coming out on a five uh, CD set that uh, Rob Santos is putting together over at Sony Records. They found them in the in the uh, archives, they brought them out and they sent them to me about a month ago. And I said, "Oh, there were all kinds, of, all kinds of blues things." And because I recorded like Spoonful way before the, uh, you know, Cream and Eric Clapton did it. You know, I, I was into uh, Howlin' Wolf and you know Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson. I heard King of the Delta Blues back in the early '60s from John Hammond. He he gave me an album when I was recording for uh, Columbia Records back then, you know. So it was all very exciting to me as a youngster, uh, what was happening around me. The music scene was just booming, you know, especially uh, when I got to Columbia Records and the, uh, the English picked up on uh, the roots, uh, American roots music. And Americans didn't even know about it, but they picked up on it and they... So I never called it the uh, the British invasion. I called it the the British infusion because they really knew what was happening, and uh, that and I was into that. So I knew what they were doing. So I didn't feel kind of shocked or lost or disturbed by the whole thing. I was just on board, you know. So just really quick, you know, when you I guess I should ask you when you moved away from the Bronx. Uh, I, I got a place in Manhattan when I, I started recording, talking about maybe 1960, uh, 1959, after 
after I went on tour with Buddy Holly, Richie Valance, and the Big Bopper, and they, uh, you know, the, that fatal plane crash in February of '59. Uh, soon after that, uh, I think in the fall uh, of of that year, I moved to Manhattan. Have you been uh, back uh, often to the Little Italy here in, in the Bronx? And, and when you do, you know, around the areas that you were singing on the street corners, what goes through your mind if if you have been back? Well, there's a very uh, – I, I always come back. You know, I have an apartment in New York, and I'm always uh, – I, I, I visit David Greco at, the, you know, on Arthur Avenue in the, in the market. And I, uh, you know, shoot across the street to Rigoletto's and have a meal with the boys, you know. And I, I'm, I, you know, there's a, there's a love, there's a, a love for the, the people in the streets. I don't know. There's a part of me that uh, uh, I'm part of the mortar uh, <laughs> of the, of the streets there. It's like in my DNA. So uh, it's, a, it's a part of me, you know, and. Uh, uh, I, I remember the good parts, the sweet parts, and, you know, I, I feel, I don't know, it's a good feeling to walk the streets up there. I've been speaking with 50s and 60s pop icon Dion DiMucci. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarchy and Cityscape are next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Jake Neer. Oh.